welcome to Parapods, City of Parramatta Libraries podcast, where we talk about books, uh, libraries, and everything in between. My name is Nissa, and today I would like you, I would like to introduce you to my colleague uh, Crystal. Hello, thanks for having me. Thank you, Crystal. This is her first appearance with us today, uh, and today I'm glad she's joining us for. A, an interesting topic we're going to be discussing. We're going to be discussing one of the most popular book genres out there, mysteries. Um, so what is or what can be considered a mystery? So mystery fiction, uh, as I said, is one of the most popular genres out there for fiction. Um, often it's used uh, in the same vein as thrillers, suspense, crime and detective fiction, but mysteries are kind of unique. Uh, they usually involved a mysterious crime that is solved over the course of the novel or the book. And many are detective stories featuring characters such as, well, most famously Poirot by Agatha Christie and Sherlock Holmes, uh, the detective by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. The great thing about mysteries, I think, is that the author gets to, well, rather the reader gets to join in on the process of finding clues, red herrings, engaging in logical deduction until a crime is solved. And I guess mystery is the difference between a mystery and a crime fiction. I don't know if you agree with me, Crystal, on this, is that mysteries are more about who. So it's more like a who done it, so who committed a crime, and the unfolding process of discovering, you know, the uh, resolving the crime, so eliminating suspects, plot twists, and so forth. And that's where the main difference, I guess, between crime fiction and yeah, mystery fiction. Yeah, who and why they did it, their motives behind it and, it. and just, it could be anybody. Like, there's so many different plot lines out there and... Like you said, red herrings. I love exactly. That term. It's just yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's really fun and sitting in on that process and getting to see you know it unfolding, like how the detective or the main character like figures out the mystery and unfolds it, and then we get that lovely surprise. So it's more the journey rather yes. than just the conclusion, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So well, there are a lot of famous mystery writers. I've, I've um, touched on them just now. So you've got Agatha Christie, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. I read somewhere that J.K. Rowling can be considered a mystery writer. And the reason is, it's quite interesting, <laughs> Harry Potter. Um, and I didn't think of it because I'm a massive Harry Potter fan. And yeah. <laughs> someone pointed out that the, if you think about it, like even think about the first book, so Harry Potter and the um, Philosopher's Stone, Harry and the gang, they're all like going around sleuthing and trying to find out they like this actually, mystery. Yeah. <laughs> so if you think about it, J.K. Rowling can be considered a mystery <laughs> writer wow. too. I see it though, yeah. Mm. <laughs> so she's not one of, going to be one of the authors we talk about today, though. We've got some others. Uh, Crystal, you're going to introduce the four books we're going to be looking at. Yeah, I am. So the first book will be Death in the East by Abir Mukherjee. It was published by Penguin Random House in 2019. Mm -hmm. Then we'll be moving on to The Thursday Murder Club, written by Richard Osman, published by Viking Press in 2020. <laughs> the, and then we'll be moving on to our classic books, mm -hmm. and we will have Murder on the Orient. Express by Agatha Christie, originally published by Collins Crime Club in 1934. And finally, A Study in Scarlet by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, originally published in Beaton's Christmas Annual Magazine in 1887. Wow. <laughs> so, so two classics at the end there I think we're going to be just touching on. Yeah. Um, so let's launch into our books, uh, Death in the East. So I finished this just last night. <laughs> um, you know what? I really enjoy the book. Uh, so 
Uh, just a bit of an introduction. Abir Mukherjee is a um, he's a Scottish writer, um, and this book that he's written apparently, like I didn't realize it when I was reading it, but it's the fourth, I think, in a series of novels about this character uh, called Sam Wyndham and another character called Surindranath Banerjee of the Calcutta Police. So this is set. Um, all the stories are set in British India. Um, and uh, so they're both in the police and the novels sort of revolve around these two characters. So one British and one, well, I guess British Indian. Uh, so Death in the East is, yeah, it was, I really enjoyed it. It was, you know what, it's funny. In the book, he refers to, I think, Agatha Christie probably twice, uh, Sherlock Holmes about twice as well. So I think there's a very deliberate effort to evoke, uh, you know, books in that vein and like, um, you know, I guess this is a detect. So they're both detectives. So this is a like a detective novel, I guess. Uh, it's a mystery work of mystery fiction, but it's definitely homage, I think, to those two famous. Um, I just want to jump in yeah. as well. My book, Thursday Murder Club, as well. They also refer <laughs> to the classics. Like just cheeky little slip in. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's very interesting that they the both books that we've chosen have done. <laughs> mm. And see, I I didn't know that before. I also chose Murder on the Orient Express as my second one as well. Yeah, but, I did. Yeah. But I guess it just shows that such an impact those yes. characters and those books have made on like the rest of the genre. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so the book is about just over four hundred pages long, so it's not very long. Um, the language is like very easy to read. There's like a smattering of like Hindi words here and there without much explanation, which I like. So sometimes when you read these books, they um, you know they'll have a word in a different language, and the next sentence they'll expand on that. So you sort of know this yeah. didn't do that. Um, so you have words like Mali and Gunda. Um, I think Gunda means like a ruffian, and Mali means like um, gardener. And he didn't explain that, and I kind of like that where I think I've discussed this before with Catherine in a podcast where uh, people shouldn't feel the need to have to explain these words when they don't for European languages so I quite like that he's done that there's a bit of Bengali towards the end there's a little bit of Yiddish but it's subtle it's not put on where oh look I'm making this effort to uh, you know put in different languages it's just it feels really organic so I quite like that about it um The actual novel itself is set in two different time periods. So you've got London in 1905 and British India, specifically Assam, in 1922. And then about two-thirds, I think, into the book, the timelines converge. So you've got, like, Sam Wyndham in both stories, uh, 1905 and 1922, and then you see where the stories are linked together, just two-thirds. So it's, it's really great to sort of go through the back and forth between the two different time periods and locations going, okay, what's the connection? What's the connection? Until it beautifully comes together and you're like, aha, there it is. So that process I really loved. Um, what else about it? Uh, so it paints a really vivid picture, I think, of both settings, like London in 1905 and British India in 1922. So, um, I guess because Sherlock Holmes, like his books are set in the late 1800s and 1900s, the the English part is meant to evoke that. I I, I really got Sherlock Holmes vibes as well. Um, And in the Indian settings, it's very colonial India, like the way he describes it. So he he describes, say, um, starch servants in white tunics and stiff fan turbans. Uh, He describes foods uh, like spices, the climate, the people, the ancient railway system. 
Um, I like how he leaves the conversation about race relations to the end. So it's not didactic. It's not like preachy from the very beginning. I mean, it would be worthwhile to be preachy, but it's not like that from the beginning. Um, he leaves that sort of open conversation towards the end, which is great. But before that, you get hints of it. So like he like he peppers throughout his book um, these descriptions of like the local like servants, like smiling ingratiatingly or like smiling painfully or being polite and obsequious while you could clearly see they weren't happy with what they were being told by yeah. their colonial masters. So I like how he sets that up here and there really subtly until the end you get to have like um, an honest conversation about that. So I really enjoyed that. And I... I think that might, and he does it so well, I think that might be related to the fact that the author, while he is Scottish, his parents are actually of Indian heritage, or they're from India originally. And I think that really, it seems to me that that really informs how well he's done that, because his main character, um, Sam, is supposed to be English. So he is someone who is British, of Indian heritage, writing about a character that is Indian and a character that is British as well. And often you'll see, I think, people of colour being um, written by white authors. But this is sort of the reverse, which I find quite interesting. Someone who's got his foot both in the East and the West and he's able to, um, he's able to depict that really well. And I love how he shows colonial India. It's not like stark realism, but it's not fantasy either like there is a certain tendency I think yeah. to romanticize Glorify. the British Raj yeah. a bit like that movie um Viceroy House which oh, yeah. it was described I remember reading this article in the Guardian um and Fatima Putto described it as servile pantomime and uh, that's oh, wow. always really uh it's always really stuck with me and I like how his he, he hasn't gone in that direction, but he hasn't gone in that sort of grim direction either, yeah. which I think would take a little bit away from the enjoyment of the story. Um, so, yeah, I really, really like the book. I'll, I'd recommend it to anyone. Um, Kunal Nair from Big Bang Theory, apparently he's going to be involved in the screen adaptation. I don't know if it was this book or one of the other books in the series. Okay. Um, so it's going places. Um, and I think it's just such a great example of that classic closed-door murder mystery. Um, so, yeah. Definitely, I would recommend this. One thing I like, one sentence from the book I really enjoy, just to illustrate the language. So he's describing, um, like, the character Sam going somewhere, and he says, Outside, a few bearded men stood leaning against the wall, guillotining their conversation as I walked past. And I'd never heard the word guillotine used in that particular way. And I just, that just struck me. Anyway, <laughs> randomly, but I just thought it was great. So, uh, Death in the East, Abhi Mukherjee. Definitely recommend it. Um, enjoyable book, easy to get through, good stuff all around. Let's go to yours, Crystal. Uh, yours was by someone who I think I've seen on the television a number of times. Yeah, he's quite um, popular over in the UK. His name is Richard Osman. Mm -hmm. um, he's big in the quiz show scene. So he is probably more well-known for his producing and also his comedic style I guess so where I met him was on well not met but I saw him on TV. I was impressed for a second there. <laughs> <laughs> I was wrong choice of words but um eight out of ten cats does countdown. Love that. <laughs> uh, it's just yeah it's a funny show but um yeah so he's known for his comedic timing but I've always seen him as like someone that's charming and funny and just 
like yeah, you don't see the humor coming until he's got you with it, and you're just sitting there in stitches. So I was very intrigued to see what kind of book he would write. Uh, so this is actually his debut fiction novel. He's written a quiz book before, so but this is his first fiction novel. He just thought he'd give it a go. Um, so I'll get into about what the story's about. It's about this kind of. When I read the description, I was like, oh, I'm not sure this will be my style, So, but just keep in mind. So it's based in a retirement village, and I thought, oh, I don't know anyone in a retirement village, so I don't know if I'll like this, but I'll give it a go. But honestly, what I think the first few sentences in, you're hooked. There's a variety of characters. Um, they're all charming and lovely and quirky and interesting. They've all had a past. It's not... Um, in any way demeaning to older people it actually makes them think see them as human and wonderful like we're all going we're all growing older um it doesn't that question of age doesn't kind of come into it if that uh, makes sense yeah yeah like you just the thoughts that they have you would have those thoughts too kind of you yeah know? you don't see the age aspect yes. um they're very, yeah, but one word I'd say is cheeky. They're cheeky characters. So there's a group, um, they call themselves the Thursday Murder Club. Uh, they discuss past unsolved mysteries and unsolved murders that have occurred. Um, they, it's just a group of friends that discuss what they think happened. And, you know, they've all got strong opinions and it's uh, very interesting. But the, until one day there's an actual murder in their quiet little retirement village. Mm -hmm. uh, so... That perks them up and they're on a mission. They want to solve it. They try and get in the way of the police. Um, yeah, I'm laughing as I talk about it because, honestly, throughout this whole thing, I've been laughing as I've gone on the journey with them. They're very – they're so lovable and I would love to be – visit if they were real, I wish they were real and I'd love to go visit that <laughs> retirement village. They were just wonderful. Um, and there's people of different ages as well. The characters aren't just people in a retirement village. There's the police officers. There's dodgy builders. Um, just, yeah, I don't want to give too much away, but it's just, it's so interesting and I highly recommend it. To, like, where, where, where is the retirement village? Oh, where is sorry, it located? It's in Kent in the UK. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, and is it modern times? Or? It is modern times. So you've got people that are grandmas um, learning about WhatsApp and Skype uh -huh. and it's yeah they have their struggles with technology but it's in a cute and funny way it's not in a way of oh they're struggling or you know some people could say that but it was just lovely I don't know <laughs> How long did it take you to read it? Approximately, like how long would it? If we, it, can you read it in one sitting, or does it take multiple sittings? Do you think multiple sittings? Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know if that was because I wanted to drag it out. Yeah, I just I was very fond of the characters. Um, yeah, I wanted to know more about them, and thank goodness this is book number one. They are <laughs> book number two has already been signed on. I believe it'll come out this year. Oh, yeah, we've just changed years, so it, the next one's coming out this year. Um, the movie rights have been sold to Steven Spielberg's company. Wow. Yeah, and the actual person who's producing it is Oliver Parker. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen The Best Marigold Hotel. Yes, I he did. He did that, so it's... Good stuff. <laughs> yeah, and watch. I loved that movie, and based on that, I think... Yeah, you can draw parallels. Like, there's a variety of cast members. If you, can, if you remember that, there was different people just... Yeah, you won't be bored. Like, there's just... Lots of different little things, and he's a fast rider. Like it's go go go, um, but it's it's nice. Like there's crime and there's murder, but you will be laughing. 
you will have you'll have sympathy for people and you will be wondering who did it <laughs> um and yet yeah, definitely definitely have a go could you <laughs> could you see it coming is it no. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, see, that's <laughs> no. really good because I have to say in my one, I I don't know why, but I don't think I could see it coming just because I think the different – for my one had different timelines as well and they were both set oh. in the past. So I don't know if that contributed to my being engrossed or focusing on those details and not seeing – what was happening but um I think those are the best ones right where you can't see it no with mine they kept on um describing different people and different reasons why they could have been the one and they were so believable and you're thinking yes it's them yes it's them and then other things would unfold and you're like okay maybe it wasn't them and you're just yeah you're going around in circles and you're like who (laughs) but yeah it is exciting to see that these amateur sleuths will be back again Excellent. So I can't wait to see their next adventure. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay, that that sounds really promising. Um, so we'll just, I guess, quickly go to the two classics yeah, sure. that we were going to do each. I'm just going to really quickly touch on it because it is the famous murder on the Orient Express. <laughs> now, my introduction to it was through the 2010 David Suchet adaptation. Have you watched any Crystal? Any of the adaptations? I haven't, no. Well, that's actually, that's good news. You are in for a treat. And any of the listeners out there who haven't watched any of the adaptations, you're in for a treat. My first experience was a David Suchet version. And um, it was interesting because that particular version focused a lot on his Catholicism and Catholicism and brought it to the forefront. And it had some big names, Jessica Chastain, Toby Jones, Hugh Bonneville, Barbara Hershey. Uh, After that, I... Saw a few other ones. There was a 2001, like, completely forgettable one. There was a 1974 version with Vanessa Redgrave, Sean Connery, Lauren McCall, and Ingrid Berman. And that is considered one of the best adaptations. 2017, there was a Kenneth Branagh one. Um, uh, So he was in it, the lovely Judi Dench, Johnny Depp, and a bunch of other people. My favourite used to be the David Suchet, the very first one I watched, until um, (laughs) I read this thing where... Well, I should probably I should probably explain the story. Murder on the Orient Express is basically about uh, the character Poirot, who is a detective, and he features in a lot of Agatha Christie novels. And he is traveling on the Orient Express, which used to be a very famous train that used to go, I think, originally between Paris and Istanbul, and vice versa. Um, it doesn't really exist in its current version now, but there is a version that it's out there. But it's a luxurious train, basically, then and now. Um, and a murder occurs. Um, and then, obviously, the whole process through, like, discovering who did it. And, it's again, it's another example of um, a closed-door murder, I guess. Yeah. Now, the reason why I used to like the David Suchet version was I, I really liked that whole inner struggle um, and and I thought it was so beautifully produced, really lavish. Of course, if you're talking about like a luxury train, I think especially when you adapt it for television um, or movies, you get to really enjoy creating like beautiful, sumptuous sets and gorgeous costumes, and and that really helps you know highlight the story itself as well. So it's it's a feast for the eyes as well as like a good rollicking story. But my problem with the Davis Suchet one was I realized that there is a particular scene where they show in a certain country there's a stoning that happens um, and um, there's a female and she's stoned in the street for an extramarital affair. Um, and apparently, historically, that is not correct, that that did not happen in that country at that time and certainly not in public. 
but it's just a lazy stereotype for a yeah. particular culture. And the fact that they would use that in a adaptation in 2010 was actually quite disappointing. Yeah. So that's that's what turned me off it um, a bit. Yeah. But but apart from that, I really really enjoyed it. Um, and the, the look Agatha Christie books. The library has um, for Orient Express. We've got the DVD in the library. We've got um, audio books for the whole book. We've got print books. We've got an ebook version through Wheelers, and get this: Parramatta um, Library through Wheelers ebooks has close to one hundred Agatha Christie titles. Oh, wow. I did not know that until fairly recently. So <laughs> close to one hundred, and so. If anyone is ever looking for Agatha Christie's out there, I think we've got pretty much nearly all of it. Um, We've got them in our Borrow Box, uh, via our Borrow Box app as well, but Wheelers is the one that has most of them. Uh, So that's definitely, uh, you know, something to look at. Um, The book itself, I've started to read it, but what I have finished reading is the graphic novel. Um... The graphic novel is, it was published a few years ago, and it's part of a series of Agatha Christie graphic novel adaptations published by Harper, which is an imprint of HarperCollins. I thought in this particular version, the end was like almost upbeat, um, so very different from the David Suchet and the other version. Um, and it's almost like at the end um, of when you watch like an American crime show that's a series, like at the end, they make some sort of clever comment and then... It's like, oh, we'll be again, like, next week. So it's it's a I get that sort of a vibe from the graphic novel. I was a little bit disappointed that the visual style was pretty much the same in all the series. There's nothing particularly unique about it. Um, but I do, with graphic novels, it's interesting when they adapt, like, print versions of books into graphic novels because you see how they, like, the same scene they would portray in certain ways. And there's one where Poirot asks this character if he's heard about something else and the person denies it. And when you look at how it's depicted in the graphic novel, you can see Poirot asking that question. You can see the speech bubbles. But how it's um, drawn is from the back of the person. So you can see the person, like, clenching their fists. I I just find that really interesting to see how you translate, like, all these, like, pages or, like, you know, paragraphs of text into, like, one picture. Um, So, no, that's really interesting. So I think, like, the graphic novel is definitely something to... um, check out and it's, it's something quite interesting to do so I'm still reading the book I'm enjoying it loved 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 um the film and tv adaptations most of them um and I'm definitely enjoying the the graphic novel so I would you know encourage anyone out there if they haven't read it to read it now <laughs> they'll probably end up finishing it before me but uh you can find it definitely on our Wheeler's e library uh collection Murder on the Iron Express by Agatha Christie which has just still so popular yeah and similarly uh Sherlock Holmes <laughs> take it away Crystal yeah so I am a massive Sherlock Holmes fan <laughs> Um, so the book that I'm going to be talking about is A Study in Scarlet. Um, it is. It was his first introduction to Sherlock Holmes. Uh, he wrote it when he was 27, and he wrote it in three weeks, which may um, project why that was actually not a popular story at the time, wow. which is I found very interesting because obviously now we all have heard of Sherlock Holmes and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. But the very first story, which was published in the Beaton's Christmas Annual magazine, it was not popular. 
Um, but he continued on and obviously people ended up enjoying his stories about the famous sleuth. But that that one study in Scarlet is where we meet the two famous characters, Watson and Holmes, and ah. their friendship, how they become, well, they become people that, two gentlemen that um, board together in the same house and they go on sleuthing missions and... Yeah, if you want to know how they how their relationship started, their friendship, definitely give that a go because I think, yeah, you'd be missing out if you just jump into any old Sherlock Holmes story. And, yeah, it's been adapted in so many different ways. I'll just read out. There's I actually didn't know about this, but there's been board games, comic strips, TV shows, <laughs> movies, the novels from their characters in from written by other authors. Um, there's been music written about them, the radio adaptations, stage productions. There's just it's been turned into so many different things from Sherlock Holmes. So I think even like we said, both of our novels actually referenced um, Sherlock Holmes in mine. There it was in Thursday Murder Club. There was just a cheeky you know, a vague reference to, oh, I think that was that Sherlock Holmes, like, it was, <laughs> I can't remember the way they did it, it was something like a little cheeky, like, as if they didn't really know much about him, but it, it was on the line of sleuthing, but it's like, obviously, like we said, homage to them, and yeah, it's, um yeah, inspired a lot of people to... Yeah. Can I ask something, you know how when you read something that's from a particular time, and often... <sighs> they might make these remarks that we're a little bit uncomfortable with, whether they're around, you know, um, genders or race. And did you get any of that from this book? Um, or this particular version, have they removed it from it? Uh, well, actually, there's a section, quite a big part of the book is he's sort of writing about the Mormon religion in a not flattering light um, because what he had the knowledge that he had about the religion was um, one particular version and then he met other people and learned um, other moments and um, learned about what was reality, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so he actually apologised. Wow. Yeah, so there was a lot of backlash um, because of how he portrayed Mormons in that book and he, through speaking with other people, learned that that was not right and he didn't make apologies about the era, like he felt bad about how he portrayed them in this book. So. Well, that's unusual, isn't it? That yeah. for the time he was able to apologize yeah. or correct it during his time, whereas for a lot of them, um, yeah. they're not able to do so. And then you sort of have to live years, decades, maybe hundreds of years after with a work that is otherwise so interesting and worthy, but they have these sections that make you so uncomfortable because they have some fairly reprehensible remarks that yes. don't need to be there. So that's yeah. that's good. You got to do that. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. that sounds like it's a really – was it easy to get through? Is it a short book? It was probably tricky to get through. Uh-huh. Um, I had read a long time ago when I was younger and reading it again. It was harder to get through, I think. But, yeah, I definitely would recommend it only because, yeah, I feel like everybody should appreciate the full story of Sherlock Holmes and Watson. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Okay, so I think look, I think we've we've done quite well with two uh two, I guess, you know, major people in the in the the mystery genre. Um and two new ones as well. I, I think it's so interesting that mysteries like persist in being so popular over time. And like even now if you think about it, all these movies that are always coming out that are like centered around mysteries. I know we've both seen the movie um, Knives Out, which had like some really big names like Daniel Craig and Christopher Plummer, Jamie Lee Curtis. 
there are all these Agatha Christie adaptations that are always coming out with like, you know, top-notch like people like these aren't like struggling actors these are people <laughs> at the top of their game yeah. and I think we've talked to in 2019 December Catherine and I um we did a podcast episode where we talked about at least two so obviously it's a it's a genre that has persisted in its popularity and just because I think it's so accessible as well and it really goes to that human emotion of wanting to know who that curiosity yes. um so that's such a powerful force, isn't it? Yes, definitely. Well, this has been brilliant. Thank you so much, Crystal. Um, Thank you for having me. <laughs> always, always. And I'm sure we'll have you with us next time. Uh, just for the listeners, if you'd like to know where to download this podcast, you can find us on Podbean, the app. You can find us on Google Play or Apple Podcasts under Parapods. We also have another new or fairly new podcast channel called Para Called. So that's Para, P-A-R-R-A, and then C-A-L-D for culturally and linguistically diverse. And that's a podcast we have now that focuses on um, different material that we'd like to produce uh, aimed at a multicultural audience. So please check that out and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Material presented in this podcast is for general information only. Any opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the guest speaker who do not necessarily represent the views of City of Parramatta Council. City of Parramatta Council is not responsible for any injury, loss, or damage which you may directly or indirectly suffer in connection with this podcast.